going to be in 1 Timothy chapter number 2 this evening. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And we're going to be looking together at verses 1 through 4. Uh, and uh, then going into the message tonight. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Uh, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 together. And uh, I added on one to a series we did a couple of months ago uh, on our church prayer list. Uh, this one, uh, in particular, is How to Pray for the Lost. Our church prayer list, How to Pray for the Lost. First Timothy chapter 2, when you found it, I ask that you stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we're going to read these four verses in unison tonight. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, in unison together, Paul wrote, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty." For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray that uh, here in our prayer service tonight, as we take a few moments and look into your word, and Father, seek to understand your prayer, your, your, your plan, your desire uh, for us, Father, to pray for the lost. I pray that you would give us both hearts to hear and hearts to obey. Uh, all that you have for us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look here at 1 Timothy chapter number 2, I think we are drawn, first of all, uh, to the priority that Paul places on prayer. In verse number 1, we see Paul say, I exhort, therefore, that first of all. And again, here, that idea of first of all, it doesn't necessarily mean like first as in order. Uh, it means like first as in importance. It means chiefly or uh, and the order of importance. And so Paul here places a, a tremendous priority on prayer for the church. Now why does he do that? He does that simply because I, I need God. You need God. We as a church need God. Our perspective is skewed and selfish and short-sighted. Our power is weak. And the thing about prayer is that prayer calls God to intervene where, when, and how I cannot. And the glorious thing about our God is this, that nothing is impossible for him. Prayer is one of the most powerful things that we can do as a church. And I think we rightly put a great emphasis on it. But this idea of the church prayer list, we're seeking to understand this. Does my list look like his list? Do my burdens reflect his burdens? You know, I think in this passage, we get a pretty good glimpse of what is on God's heart. There's kind of a, a reoccurring theme that we see in a couple of verses here, and that is simply the phrase, all men. Look at verse number one. What do we find? The Bible says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for, who, church, be made for? All men. Now, a great scholar, it's not original with me, but a great scholar once said, all means 
all, and that's all that all means. And so God wants us to pray for everybody. By the way, in verse number two, did you notice that? He even mentions, in case we misunderstood, for kings and all that are in authority. That means maybe we should spend a little less time criticizing those in authority over us and a little more time praying for them. Maybe, just maybe, that's the more biblical way to do it. That we pray for those that are in authority. But I want you to see verse number four. Because that phrase, all men, comes up again. We're supposed to pray for all men. But then notice the heart of God in verse number four. Who will have, who church? All men to be saved. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And so if we're supposed to pray for all men... God wants all men to be saved, then maybe, just maybe, we should be praying for the lost. You know, the Bible is clear that God desires all to come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. The Lord's not slack. He's not slow. He's not delayed concerning his promise to come back, as some men would count slackness. But what he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all, all, all should come to repentance. In Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, we see that the Son of Man, Jesus, why did he come? Did he come just to be a good moral example and to teach wonderful stories and heal the blind and the lepers and the lame? Is that why Jesus came? No. He came to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Hmm. You know, in obedience to Jesus, we go and we seek to win the lost. We give Johns and Romans out to our community. Uh, We minister in nursing homes and and in community organizations and in jails and all over the place. We're going to be at the fair and we're going to be here and we're going to be there. And we have Awana clubs and we have radio stations and we have Christian schools. And we do and we do and we do. And all of that is wonderful. But let me ask you this. In all that we do to win the lost... Do we pray for the lost? Do we pray? Remember, why, why do we need to pray? We pray because we need God. And when it comes to this thing of salvation, guess what? Alan Holmes has never saved anybody. Neither is Dave Wyrick, neither is Bill Brown, neither is James Lewis. We've never saved anybody and neither of you. God's the one that does the saving. God's the one that gives the increase. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 7. Some some plant, some water, but who gives the increase, church? God does. And so if he does the saving and he gives the increase, then maybe, just maybe, we should be asking him, praying for lost souls. Tonight I want to look at this. How, how we should pray for the lost. Roman numeral one, if you're taking notes tonight, I want to encourage us to pray, first of all, pray that God will destroy the hold of Satan. Pray that God would destroy the hold of Satan. It's good for us to stop and remember that Satan is not a passive observer in the battle for the souls of men. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we find this beginning in verse number 3. Paul said, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. He said, notice what he said in verse 4, whom the God of this world, by the way, who is that? As Satan, whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan is not a passive observer in the battle for the hearts and souls of men. Satan has a plan he's working. What's he doing? He is deceiving the world. The world lies in darkness. Satan's got a plan. You know, sometimes we pat ourselves on the back because we think we have a plan. The devil has a plan. The devil has a plan for you, and the devil has a plan for the lost men and women around you. Satan has a plan he's working. By the way, Satan has a purpose that he's after. What's what's Satan's purpose? Destruction. And so his plan is to deceive, and his purpose is destruction. And I tell you, that ought to be alarming. Why? Because, humanly speaking, Satan has a power we can't match. Alan Holmes doesn't go toe-to-toe with the devil and win on his own. He got a better plan than me. He's got a devious purpose. And, humanly speaking, he has the power that I, by myself, cannot match. You look at this world we live in. And deception abounds. Let me ask you, have you ever looked at society, watched the news, gotten on social media, I don't know, went to Walmart, and thought, how can people behave like this? How can people believe these things? You ever thought that? I have. And you know why they behave that way? And you know why they believe those things? Because they are deeply deceived. And they are bound in their depravity. I mean, we are living as a culture, Romans 1. Where where, uh, our culture has been given over to uncleanness. You look at the perversion that abounds. You look at the, just the confusion that abounds. I mean, we, we are literally at the point in culture where people are not only confused about what gender they are, but what species they are. This world is in trouble. I, I saw online, there's a site that I follow that kind of points out some of this stuff, and I made the mistake of listening to so-called lady reverend who got up in, I believe it was a Presbyterian church a week or two ago. The stole she was wearing had the Planned Parenthood logo on it and she preached about the glories of abortion and even had the audacity to talk about her own two abortions and how close she felt to God through all of it. No sin, no shame, she said. But you know what? As mad as we get about stuff like that, church, we have to remember, big picture, people are the prize. Jesus died for her too. Jesus died. He came to seek and save those who were lost. You say, preacher, look at them. They're, they're acting like a bunch. Yes, they're acting like a bunch of heathens because they are. 
But Jesus came to save them. May we not forget our passage, who would have all men to be saved? The big picture is that people are the prize, not the problem. Ephesians 6 and verse number 12 reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so, church, when we see people who are bound in depravity and deception, our hearts ought to break because they are on their way to hell. But God doesn't want them to go there. And we ought not want them to go there either. But how do we cut through the deception? I mean, sometimes you hear what people think and you hear what people do and you're like, if you're like me, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't even know where to start sometimes. How do you cut through the deception? How do you get to the heart of the matter? How do you reach people who are so blind and who are so deceived? What do we do? We pray. We pray. We pray. Because God can do what we cannot. And we ask God to reach in to those that Satan has a hold of. And we ask God to destroy the works of the devil. Because you know what prayer does? Prayer calls God to intervene where we cannot. You know, you think about it this way. Oh, Christopher, come here. Christopher, come here. Let me see. Let me see. Drew, come here. Gideon, come here. Christopher, you're the devil. All right? So, Drew here, he's a man. But the problem with Drew is the devil's got, no, bind him up. The devil's got a hold of him. The devil's got a hold of him, right? So here's the problem. Here's the problem. Madeline, come here. Come on up, Maddie. Madeline, you get to represent the Christian. Your brother's the devil, you're the Christian. All right? So, Come on, come on. So Drew here is bound by the devil. Madeline the Christian says, but Jesus died for him. I want to see him get saved. Let me ask you, Madeline, I know you're strong, but are you going to be able to free Drew from the devil? Probably not. So you can try and fight and fuss, and she can, but what's going to happen? She's going to get frustrated. He's going to get frustrated. By the way, anytime we try to do soul winning in our own power and strength, guess what? Everybody gets frustrated. So what does Madeline do? She needs to go to somebody who has more strength than the devil. You get to represent the Lord. (laughs) And so when Madeline calls the Lord in, come on. Break him free. There you go. What happens though? We invite God to do what we cannot. Boy, aren't we quick to write off people? Oh, this generation, they're just gone. But they don't have to go to hell. Somebody's got to get a burden. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Somebody's got to get compassion. Somebody's got to, got to realize, I can't do it. I can't cut through the deception. I can't make them see. But you know what? I know somebody who can. 
And so what do we do? We pray for the lost. How do we pray for the lost? We pray that God moves in and destroys the hold of Satan. By the way, we pray for all men. Not just the ones that look like us and think like us. We pray for all men. Hebrews 7 and verse number 25 reminds us that the Lord Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. That no one is too far gone. The Bible reminds us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8 that Jesus came. Look at the end of that verse. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Here's the reality we've got to get tonight. Satan has a power that I cannot match. But God has a power that Satan cannot match. And there is no stronghold of the devil safe from the power of God. And so we pray. I know they're way out there. I know people you love are heading in a direction and you don't even know where to start. Start by praying that God would destroy the hold of the devil. Pray Pray, 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 because he can do what we cannot. And so we are, we are praying for all men because we know that God would have all men to be saved. So what are we going to pray? Change that word hands to hold in your notes. Pray that God will destroy the hold of the devil. Let me give you something else tonight. Not only pray that God would destroy the hold of the devil, but also pray that God will draw the hearts of sinners. Pray that God would draw the hearts of sinners. You know, the Bible is clear. None of us find God. The Bible is clear that no one goes around looking for God of his own accord. Isaiah 53 and verse number 6, all we like sheep, again, all means all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Romans chapter 10, uh, verse, Romans 3 beginning in verse 10, the Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Look at verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that what? Seeketh after God. The Bible is clear. None of us of our own accord find God. No one goes around looking for God. What happens? God has promised to draw all men to himself. In John chapter 12 and verse number 32, Jesus said, If I be lifted up. By the way, verse number 33 makes it clear. He spake of the manner of his death. Jesus said, If I be lifted up. And was Jesus lifted up on a cross? Yes. If I be lifted up from the earth. What would he say? And if I be lifted up, he said, Will draw. What is it, church? What is it, church? What is it, church? What is it, church? All men unto me. God has promised to draw all men to himself. He did lift up Jesus on a cross. And he promises to draw all men to himself. Now the word draw here is like like a fisherman would draw a net. It, It is a pulling together, a pulling in. By the way, the pulling of a heart is work that only God can do. 
And if it's work only God can do, then maybe just maybe we should be asking him to do it. So what are we going to pray? We're going to pray that God would destroy the hold of the devil. We're going to pray that God would draw the hearts of the sinner. We're going to be praying that the, that the Holy Spirit would do his convicting work. John 16 and verse number 8, Jesus said to the Spirit, And when he, the Spirit, has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so the Holy Spirit has been giving a convicting work in this day and age. You know, we talked about many being deceived. You know, many are also deceived by the lie of the moral man. There are many people out there who think, I'm okay, because my good and my bad, you know, they basically cancel themselves out. But beloved, that's a lie. There is none good, no not, one. How do people... How do people become deceived by the lie of the moral man? Well, the thing is, man, humanity, we naturally compare. You know, I might cuss, but at least I work hard. You know, I may drink, but at least I don't cheat on my wife. And we look around at one another and we compare. And when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we'll always come to the realization, hey, I'm not that bad. You know, like, at least I'm not as bad as Barry Halstead. And Barry Halstead looks around and says, at least I'm not as bad as Larry Petrie. Larry Petrie's had a few years to rack up them sins. But Larry Petrie looks around and says, at least I'm not as bad as Bill Brown. And Bill Brown says, you know what, I may not be as good as Larry, but at least I'm not as bad as, don't say Leanne. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You got to pick somebody else, son. George. And you know, honestly, you know, at this point we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. But even George can look around and say, at least I'm not as bad as David Wyrick. And honestly, David Wyrick's about the worst humanity has to offer. <laughs> but what happens? We naturally compare ourselves among ourselves, but when we do that, what happens? What becomes the standard? The worst humanity has to offer. There's a flaw in that. Because we're not judged by a standard of humanity. We are judged by a standard of holiness. And when it comes to the standard of God's holiness, the Bible is clear, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none good. No, not one. There are so many people out there who think they are okay, and they're not. And the reality is that the only one that can convict a man of his sin is the Holy Spirit of God. The best I can do is try to make somebody feel guilty. But true conviction that leads to salvation it comes from the Spirit of God. So what do we do? We pray. 
We pray. We pray. We pray. We call on God to intervene and do what we cannot. Because the reality is there is no heart so hard that God cannot break it and remake it. And when a man is truly convicted of his sin, he comes to see his desperate need for salvation. And praise God we have a Savior and a salvation that can make the guilty guiltless. So we pray for the lost. How do we pray for the lost? Number one, what do we do? We pray that God would do what? Destroy the hold of Satan. Number two, how are we going to pray for the lost? We're going to pray that what God will draw the hearts of sinners. Let me give you one more aspect that we can pray for the lost tonight. Roman numeral three. Not only do we need to pray that God would destroy the hold of Satan, not only do we need to pray that God would draw the hearts of sinners, but we need to pray thirdly that God would direct the hands of his saints. We need to pray that God would direct the hands of his saints. You know, we've established no soul can be saved unless God does the work. I can't save them and neither can you. No soul can be saved unless God works. But the Bible is also clear that no soul can be saved without God's word. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17 reminds us, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. James chapter 1 reminds us as well that it is the word of faith, the engrafted word that is able to save your souls. So, so the soul can only, no soul can be saved unless God works, but no soul can be saved without God's word. And let me ask you, the work of proclaiming God's word is given to who? Who, who, who has been given, who has been, I'll say it this way, commissioned to proclaim God's word to this world? The church. The church. God has given that to us. We are his body on this earth. And he has given that charge to us. Matthew 28 and verse number 19, the great commission, Jesus said, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So what do we need to pray here? We need to pray that God will lead us as his people to connect with those who need him. What do we need to pray here? We need to pray as Paul did, that God would give open opportunity to share the gospel. What do we need to pray here? We need to pray like Paul did, that God would give wisdom and boldness as we speak the good news of Jesus. As we said before, here's the thing, you're never going to meet somebody who doesn't need to hear about Jesus. Not, not at the gas station, not at the grocery store, not at the workplace, not in the neighborhood, not at the family reunion. You are never going to meet someone who doesn't need to hear about Jesus. What do we need to pray? We need to pray that God, we need to pray that God would lay specific people on our hearts. Here's the thing, and I want you to get this. Write this down. The practical application of praying for all men, okay? The practical application of praying for all men is that someone needs to be praying for each man. 
I mean, it's easy to say, Lord, save people. Lord, bless the missionaries. Lord, open people's hearts in this country or that country. Lord, help our church to reach people. And that's wonderful. But maybe, just maybe, a a better way to pray is specifically. Because if we're supposed to pray for everybody, all men, then that means we should all be praying for some men. Because here's the thing, you've got influence with people I don't. And I have access and influence with people you don't. And God has placed us in different fields and different positions and different stages of life that we can be the light everywhere for his glory. And church, we must each proclaim what Christ has done. As I said, because there are some that only we can reach. And I want to encourage you, we must boldly and clearly proclaim the good news of Jesus because there is so much confusion out there about what salvation is. Let me give you a few things in recent weeks that I have heard people say when I have asked them, I've asked them if they're saved, if they're a Christian. These are things that I have heard. Well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Well, I got sick and and, and I prayed and God made me better. That's wonderful, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Well, God, I I faced a hard loss in life and I prayed and God helped me through. Great, but that doesn't make you a Christian. I just felt different. I guess I'm happy for that, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Well, I've gone to church for... I'm glad. Church is a wonderful thing. But being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a garage makes you a car. There's so much confusion out there about what salvation is. Can I tell you what salvation is? Salvation is putting your faith And who Jesus is, he is the very son of God. And what Jesus has done, he died on a cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. And he is the only way to heaven. That's what salvation is. And all this other stuff. Well, I went to church or God helped me or God did this or I felt different or all of those things. None of that is salvation. And so church, we've got to be clear ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. The reality is, and this will be hard for us, some of us to hear maybe, but all saints, all Christians are commissioned by Jesus to be witnesses of what God has done for us. The question is not whether or not you are a witness. You are. The question is not whether you are a witness, but whether you're a good witness or a bad witness. Church, we must go. But I'm going to tell you, as we go, we must be praying for God's direction. And we ought to pray while we seek to develop relationships for the sake of the gospel. You know, there are people that you see at the coffee shop, people you see at the diner, people you see at the office or the factory, people you see around your neighborhood, people you do hobbies with. Maybe for some of us, it's even our family members. And you need to pray as you seek to develop a relationship with those people. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. That that, that through your testimony and through your witness and that through your life, that God might use those things 
to destroy the hold of Satan and to draw their hearts to him. So we pray while we seek to develop relationships for the sake of the gospel. And I want to encourage you, all of us should have those relationships we're seeking to develop for the sake of the gospel. We also ought to pray while we're sowing in all the highways and hedges, compelling them to come in. That's why I encourage us as a church, go on visitation. If you can't go on Wednesday night, go on Saturday morning. Go on Tuesday afternoon. I don't care. Grab a map, grab a pack of John and Romans and get it done. Maybe you can't go on visitation. Come help put the John and Romans together on those Tuesdays where the golden apples do it. You can pray for the people going on visitation. You can leave a track at the gas pump. You can, you can hand a track to the person pumping gas you. You can just sow the good news of Jesus into the highways and hedges. You can roll up to the store and blast clean air radio and roll your windows down. And when people give you the funny look, you can say, hey, this will show you how to tune in yourself. There are so many ways to just sow the gospel seed. But as we sow and as we water, what, what ought we be doing? Praying that God would give and increase. Why? Why? Because you never know who God is going to connect you with. I remember, it was probably a year or two ago, and there was a lady that we were connected with, and she prayed and trusted Christ as her Savior. It was wonderful. She wasn't really from the area, but uh, she was able to go home and get connected and get involved. And it was probably a month or two later, I got a call, I think, from her sister or her sister-in-law who said, Preacher, you don't know me and I don't know you, but I want you to know our family was praying for her for like 20 years. And we're so glad she got saved. Here's the thing. You don't know. You don't know your neighbor, your co-worker, that guy pumping gas beside you. He could have somebody who's been praying for him, praying for her. And it just might be you that God uses to sow the seed of the gospel one more time. You just don't know. That's why the Bible has never... The Bible, when we look at how God judges and evaluates us, guess what? It's not about our results. It's not going to be, you know, did we win hundreds of thousands of people and did we triple in church size and all of that? What does God ask of us? He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He calls us to just be faithful. And I love the testimony of Lynn tonight talking about Mrs. Loro. And she didn't know, but she was faithful. And guess what? God knew what he was doing. And that person sitting across from you in the doctor's office lobby, the Holy Spirit lays it on your heart. You don't know. You don't understand. Yes, it feels awkward. Yes, it feels weird. But if God lays it on your heart, guess what? God knows what he's doing. Just be faithful. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know who's praying for them. Just be faithful. And we pray. We pray that God would destroy the hold of the devil. We pray that God would draw the hearts of sinners. But we also need to pray that God would direct the hands of his saints as we go out into the field that is white unto harvest. We pray, 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 and trust that God gives the increase. Because the reality is, without Jesus, 
men die and go to hell forever. There's no middle ground. There's no working your way back. The reality is without Jesus, men die and go to hell forever. And Revelation says the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever and ever. And I don't want that for your family member. I don't want that for your coworker. We don't want that for our neighbor. We don't want that for, for, the, for the parent that our kid, uh, of one of the kids that our kids plays ball with. We don't want that for them. We like Jesus. We want all men to be saved. It's true for those near. It's true for those far. That without Jesus, men die and go to hell forever. By the way, that's why we take missions so seriously around here. That's why we support almost 50 missionaries around the world. Why? Because humanity, according to Romans 1, is without excuse before God. Nobody is going to look at God in the judgment and say, well, I didn't get a fair shake. You say, well, preacher, the untold millions need to hear. That's why Jesus told us to go. And that's why, that's why we give $100,000 a year to missions. That's why we push like we do. Because without Jesus, men die and go to hell forever. And that ought to burden us. That ought to burden us. Tonight, I've got two challenges for us. I want to be very practical, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. Challenge number one, I want to encourage you in your prayer to be pointed. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they might be saved? Who are you praying for that the Lord would destroy the hold of Satan on their heart? Who are you praying for that God would draw their heart? Who are you praying for? Can I ask you, who can and should you pray for? I want to encourage you to put a name. Put at least one name on your prayer list tonight and pray for them. Pray for them how we talked about. Pray for them. Pray for them tonight and pray for them tomorrow. And pray for them every day until they get saved. Pray for them. Be pointed in your prayer. Who are you praying for? Secondly, I want to challenge us to be prepared. I want to ask everybody here tonight to take three pieces of gospel literature. At least three. Maybe it's a radio card. Maybe it's a church invitation. Maybe it's a, a, one of those that we really have that's just really a gospel tract. But I want to encourage everybody tonight to take at least three pieces of information uh, of gospel literature with them tonight. Why? Because... You never know who God wants you to be the answer to prayer for. Somebody been praying for somebody for years and maybe just maybe God would have it. Then in the next couple of days, you would cross their path and have the opportunity to tell them that God loves them so much that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again. But I want to challenge each of us. Take at least three. And in our time of prayer, ask God for at least three opportunities to love somebody enough to hand them a gospel tract before Sunday. You say, preacher, that's just a couple of days. I know. But you're going to go a lot of places. And you're going to see a lot of people. And maybe, just maybe, God would highlight three and say, you know what? 
Why don't you share the love of Jesus with him? Share the love of Jesus with her.